This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. We're all having a great weekend. Some big news this week. The Center for Disease Control said that people who have received their COVID vaccinations could stop wearing masks. They said that all who are fully vaccinated are clear to participate in, in any activity indoors and outdoors without masks, without social distancing. But in New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy said Friday that he won't rela- relax his mask up and, and social distancing requirements just yet. And remember, New Jersey's the home State, the adopted home state of Yogi Berra. So it ain't over till it's over. It might as well be etched into the New Jersey Constitution. Murphy said it could be weeks before Jersey opts to follow the CDC guidelines. And, and as you might imagine, his decision was quickly rebuffed by some other political leaders who don't see why Murphy, who has steadfastly stuck to CDC guidelines for more than a year, is making a little bit of a break now. We will talk more about that later. Coming up at 420, I'll speak with Brian D. Levine. He is one of the candidates who wants to take on Phil Murphy in the Republican uh, gubernatorial primary. Uh, Mayor Levine hasn't been getting a lot of attention in the race, and I want you to hear what he has to say so that you can make the most informed decision possible when you vote. And at 435, I'll be joined by one of New Jersey's most influential leaders. His name is Nicholas Scatari. He is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, If you want to be a judge in New Jersey or a prosecutor or or anything, really, you need to go through Senator Scatari's committee. Uh, I'm going to talk to him about judges and other state issues, and I promise you, you will not want to miss what he has to say. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So here's a question for you. Do you think you live inside a political bubble? And we're living in a time in our nation and, and even in the small communities that many of us live where politics has become increasingly polarized. So think about this. When you use social media uh, and you see post after post to people who concur with you, how often do you see something that you disagree with? And There's a term, it's called a filter bubble, and what that means is that websites use complicated algorithms that predict what you want to see and what you want to hear based on your own past history. So there's a big question here. Are all of us living inside our own ideological bubbles, our our own cultural bubbles, uh, where we're kept apart from those who have a divergent point of view? Or are we all isolated? Do we all live in an echo chamber? And I've been thinking a lot about how that affects political campaigns. I see it in every election. People talking to the same groups, getting same responses, seeing likes on Facebook and and Twitter that are always the same group of people. And and those involved sometimes mistake that for some sort of blossoming grassroots movement 
that they believe is expanding, maybe maybe exponentially. But in reality, they never seem to penetrate beyond their own bubble. Uh, they're not spreading the word as much as they think there are just by speaking to the same people all the time. And you don't win elections just by speaking to your base, unless your base is enough to put you over the finish line. You you win these elections by reaching the undecided, the people outside your bubble who aren't hearing what's being said. And, and that, everyone, is a fatal flaw to grassroots campaigns. Uh, when you're in my business, political journalism, you... You hear the word activists over and over. Um, I, have to, I have to tell you, this is my 48th year of closely watching politics. I don't even know what an activist is anymore. Uh, back when I was running for office, that was 37 years ago when I was managing political campaigns in the 1970s, 1980s. To me, an activist was someone who brought you a group of volunteers. They raised you money or they brought to you actual votes. Activists had influence. They had clout. They were important. Today, we have a lot of self-proclaimed activists, people with an iPhone and a Twitter account who, who speak frequently, sometimes incredibly loudly, but they don't necessarily deliver anything. There's a difference between an activist and a supporter. And, and while both are very, very important, the two are separate. They, they ought not be commingled. Uh, this is David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. Uh, here's, here's something else you need to know. The, the difference between an organization and a club and a difference between a club and two people sitting in a diner booth with Twitter accounts. Everybody plays an important role in this process. I mean, that's, I mean, especially the two that are talking politics over Taylor ham and egg sandwiches at the Tic Tac Diner. But, but they shouldn't be considered an organization, at least when you're running a campaign and you're counting votes. And, and to be clear, sometimes the media lives inside their own bubble too. I mean, it, 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 it happens more than you may think. And, and it's especially true on social media. The reporters who talk to the other reporters, they pat each other on the back with their, their attaboys. It really seems sometimes like journalists don't get it either. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. This week, Governor Murphy did an interview on TMZ, and and that caused one of the statehouse reporters, one maybe not quite as astute as some of the others, to remark on Twitter that he was waiting for Murphy's interview and that, and get this, this is what he said. He said, some days I can't believe I get paid for this. and uh, Well, some days I can't believe they pay him either, but that's a totally different story. Uh, as for the bubbles, nine of the 14 likes that we received were from other reporters, more attaboys. And what some people in the Jersey media just fail to understand is that the governor will reach more people in a TMZ interview than he would if he gave the interview to, say, the Bergen record. Uh, I mean, the record circulation is down more than 72% over the last five years. Uh, a direct-to-the-people communication strategy, whether it's TMZ or streaming press conference or cable TV interviews. Uh, I hope you didn't miss Phil Murphy having a beer with NBC uh, New Jersey reporter Brian Thompson talking about how do people get vaccinated. That was that was exactly the kind of thing people should be doing. These kinds of appearances have helped frame how New Jerseyans view their governor. And 
We live in a segmented society where politicians can reach people who don't read newspapers. That's smart. And and to thumb your nose at something less traditional is just narrow-minded. The the old media mocking an interview on TMZ, to me, it evinces their failure to understand that times are changing. Those those views of superiority, especially when they're becoming less and less relevant, that might be one of the reasons why the old media business model is failing. It might be uh, one of the reasons that Gannett lost $142 million in the first three months of 2021. And, and if you if you own stock in Gannett, remember your annual shareholder meetings coming up on June 7th. You might, might want to ask them about it. This is David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour and the New Jersey primary is now 27 days away. If you're a vote-by-mail voter, watch for your ballot. Uh, they should be in the mail by now. Check and confirm uh, that you receive them. And if you live in New Jersey and you aren't registered to vote, you don't have much time. The voter registration deadline's about three days away. And if you don't vote, you don't get to complain about the outcome. Uh, I want to talk about... about uh, Governor Murphy and and the masks again. Six weeks ago, Senate President Steve Sweeney, he's a Democrat, said legislators were growing tired of of the governor's uh, uh, governing by executive order during the pandemic. But on Friday, uh, Sweeney, Murphy, Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin announced they're working on a on a legislative package that would allow the public health emergency to expire, but still give the governor some power to make uh, certain decisions unilaterally. And, and like everything else in politics, the, the devil's in the details. We still don't know what the specifics are. Uh, and and I'm not really sure that the masks and social distancing comes into play, but I'm sure we'll know soon. Uh, the governor has said he's evaluating the guidelines on masks, on social distancing. Uh, this is already becoming an issue in the governor's reelection campaign, uh, or at least one of his Republican opponents is, is trying to make it an issue. Uh, Jack Cittarelli said yesterday, and these are his words, Murphy claims to follow science, but he continues to act like King Phil. Uh, still, there's an important distinction here. While the CDC adjusted their guidelines, they, they never said people should avoid taking extra precautions. So uh, we're in an election year. The election year will be almighty. The governor's reelection has got to be occupying a humongous block of real estate inside his head. We'll be back with Brian D. Levine, one of the Republican candidates for governor, with the hope of taking on Phil Murphy. And at 420, I'll speak with Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Phil Murphy. We'll talk weed and judges and other things, so you won't want to miss that. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The following is a paid program. The views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 WABC and Red Apple Media. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service 
connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The following is a paid political announcement. Last year, Phil Murphy gave us the biggest property tax increase in a decade during a pandemic. I'm Jack Chitterelli, Republican candidate for governor. I've built two businesses here in New Jersey, creating jobs, opportunity, and community. This is where my wife, Melinda, and I raised our four children. New Jersey's my home and yours. But sadly, New Jersey's broken. It's broken because of Phil Murphy's failed leadership, and he just continues to make things worse. Leaving thousands of veterans and seniors dead in nursing homes because of his devastating COVID policies. Destroying our small businesses with his extended lockdowns. Raising our taxes while adding billions in new spending. He even said, if taxes are your issue, then New Jersey's probably not your state. you got to be kidding me. Who says that? Taxes are our issue. And Phil Murphy shouldn't be our governor. New Jersey can do better. With Republican Jack Chitterelli as governor, we will. Paid for by Chitterelli for Governor, Inc. P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Brian Levine's a former mayor of Franklin Township. He's a former Somerset County freeholder. He wants to replace Phil Murphy. He is one of four candidates in the race for the Republican nomination for governor of New Jersey. Mayor, thank you. Thank you for being on. I want to ask you about Governor Murphy's reluctance to lift the order for vaccinated New Jerseyans to wear masks despite new guidelines from the CDC. Did the governor get it right or wrong? got it wrong, but first I just want to say thanks a lot for having me here. I extremely appreciate it. This is good. He, what frustrates me with the governor is he thinks we elected him czar and not governor, and the legislature actually goes along with all of it. And I, he picks and chooses what he likes. When he was for the CDC guidelines, he said, okay, I'm shutting down the state, and he went beyond that. He shut it farther down and hurt businesses, and frankly, I don't think he had the empathy for the, all the ancillary problems. And now, he, he's doing that again. The CDC says, okay, you can start to open up, masks aren't as necessary, and he, he's, he's not going along with it. Again, it keep, keeps hurting that, the small business. I mean, I'm sure Goldman Sachs, he was a great salesman, because he made a billion dollars. But it's... Um, that's very different than running a state and doing things for small businesses, relating to small businesses and people. So if you were governor today, would you would you say you don't have to wear a mask if you have already been vaccinated? Yeah, I would. And I would also give businesses their choice, which, you know, they usually do. If they choose, it's free enterprise, to require a mask, that's their um their prerogative. If they choose not to, because it's not the, the experts at the CDC say you don't have to, then they can certainly go along with that. You know, it, it rem- I was going to say, it reminds me of being mayor. Now, I think mayors, like the closest thing you have, it's executive authority to, to running the state, more than even a freeholder. And I was a freeholder and a freeholder director. As a mayor, you look at all the issues 
and you've got to make the decisions once everyone gives it to you. It's for the people, it's for the businesses, it's for your town. And I think back to that. When I was a mayor and there were issues, you just had to, like, make a decision. You know, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, hopefully more right than wrong, and, and figure out how is it going to affect people and businesses. And if it's hurting them, can I alleviate that? So you are... You are in an uphill fight, and I think we I think we agree on that. You don't have any county Republican organization endorsements. You you don't have a, a big paid staff. You expect to raise less than $6,000 in a race where your opponents are spending millions. But what should New Jersey Republican primary voters know about Brian D. Levine? Okay. It'll be more than 6000 at least you tens of thousands, I could slip into the hundreds if, I, if a few things come along. And I was never one to and you'd go for all the organizational support. I was always very grassroots. That's when I was a councilman, a mayor, all the time. So that's fine. Frankly, I'm a little tired of the Trenton Swamp anyway. I'm not beholden. I didn't want to be beholden to unions or lobbyists or insiders the only one I have to care about is the residents of the state. So is and that what you would ask me? It is. I want to know, you know, what, what should, and I'm going to go more into it. I want to know what, yeah. what, what Republicans should know about you, because you're, you're not the candidate that they, they see on, on TV commercials every day. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this, you, the Mayor. Yes. The, the Governor Murphy's got a 57% approval rating. It's yeah. 66% say he's done a good job managing the state during the pandemic. And, and 31% of Republicans think he did a good job. Did, did he do well overall in managing, you know, probably the, the, the greatest emergency of our time? Or, or would you have done something differently? Yeah, when the, when the dust settles, I think people are going to see what, what's really going on. It's, you still have the same old Trenton swamp. DMV is still a fiasco. The state's finances, in, in the best of times, the state is broke. Now in a bad time, we're like on life support, and that's going to come back to roost. And when you pay people out of the uh, – you help people by mortgaging your grandchildren's future, that comes to roost too. Going back to being a mayor, you have to balance your budget. You have to do it. He's been a governor by fear. He's, um, he, I think he's been asleep at the switch. And uh, the, the state has spiraled down. People have been pumped up because money's been pumped into the system. But all these old issues, education, again, the DMV fiasco. Last week, he, there was a, a bill to bring back the Red Tape Review Commission, which I was on. That saves millions of dollars and miles of red tape and brings in businesses. He doesn't like it because it was the idea of someone else. It's once the dust clears, I think people are going to see what's really going on. You have to grab the bull by the horns and be proactive, not by executive order dictatorially, but working with both sides. Another thing people should know is when I was mayor, about 70,000, it was about three to one Democratic, and I won twice as councilman, three times as mayor, and also as freeholder, freeholder director. And that's because I got my solid Republican support, but I got a lot of independent and Democratic crossover because they knew I was honest. I'd give them a fair shake. And because I'm a CPA, maybe that's it. I was strong on the budget. I left office with one of the highest surpluses in the state history. Because, again, 
fiscal good management, and that's what I want to do for the state. And uh, Mayor Levine, one of your one of your predecessors on the Somerset County Board of Freeholders is former Governor Christy Whitman. This yes. week, she said the Republican Party has moved so far to the right that it might be time to form a new party. Is she right or wrong? I, I don't think form a new party. And I always say people can have his or her own opinion. I think we're always consider ourselves the Big Ten party. And if people uh, span the gamut, as long as it's the basic smaller government, personal responsibility kind of philosophy, I think we can come back together. That's what I want to do. I want to be the leader that's going to bring all these factions together for the Republicans. And by extension, the state of New Jersey in total. And I'm speaking with Republican gubernatorial candidate Brian D. Levine. Mayor, you know, there's certain issues that, that weren't local issues that you've dealt with, and 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 you know because because uh, this hasn't been on the on the the forefront of your campaign. I just I want to ask you just some issues quickly. Sure. Are you are you pro life or pro choice? Uh, David, it's <laughs> I say it that way. I'm I, I could never. Um, Abortion is is something I couldn't do for myself. I can't see throwing a woman in jail for getting one. And the federal government, Roe v. Wade, has said it's a matter of privacy. If that's ever overturned, it goes back to the state. So for right now, that's the law of the land. So if you were governor, if you were governor and Roe v. Wade is is overturned and the the Democratic legislature – passes new laws to strengthen a woman's right to choose in New Jersey, would you sign it? If I don't, I can't see giving taxpayer dollars for it. I'd, always, I'd have to see what it was. You know, there's, there's, it's hard on theoreticals, cause, you know, how it could be. I, I, it, I don't see the law changing at this point, so I just, I, Again, in the next few years, I don't see that changing. And, and what about restrictions on guns? Are you, are you supportive of more restrictions or, or less restrictions or leaving things as they are right now? You know, New Jersey has the toughest gun laws in the country right now. We can enforce the laws. Anything stricter, I, I think it just really isn't going to help. If you tighten it up, it's not going to do, it's not going to do anything else. So seeing we're already at the pinnacle, Second Amendment laws, I couldn't see any new laws in that area. I think we're good as we are. We can enforce what we've got. Yeah, and Mayor, thank you. So, I'm speaking with Brian D. Levine. He's a candidate for the Republican nomination for governor. Mayor, Mayor Levine, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you talking to me about your campaign. David, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate it so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I will be back with Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Nicholas Scatari. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The following is a paid political announcement. Last year, Phil Murphy gave us the biggest property tax increase in a decade during a pandemic. I'm Jack Cittarelli, Republican candidate for governor. I've built two businesses here in New Jersey, creating jobs, opportunity, and community. This is where my wife, Melinda, and I raised our four children. New Jersey's my home and yours. But sadly, New Jersey's broken. It's broken because of Phil Murphy's failed leadership, and he just continues to make things worse. Leaving thousands of veterans and seniors dead in nursing homes because of his devastating COVID policies. Destroying our small businesses with his extended lockdowns. Raising our taxes while adding billions in new spending. He even said, if taxes are your issue, then New Jersey's probably not your state. 
You got to be kidding me. Who says that? Taxes are our issue. And Phil Murphy shouldn't be our governor. New Jersey can do better. With Republican Jack Chitterelli as governor, we will. Paid for by Chitterelli for Governor, Inc. P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. So in New Jersey, nobody gets appointed to anything. Judges, prosecutors, cabinet members, without going through the Senate Judiciary Committee. Nick Scatari is the longest-serving judiciary chairman in state history, one of the most powerful people in Trenton. Senator, how are you? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. And You were one of the first legislators to advocate for the legalization of adult-use marijuana. Uh, Where does legal cannabis stand right now? Well, I was absolutely the first. In fact, they looked at me like I had three heads on my shoulder when I first talked about it, when I first got in the legislature. But the status of it right now is it's passed. It's now... It's, it's somewhere in between being illegal and legal right now. So it's no longer uh, an offense that you can be arrested for. It's decriminalized for those purposes. But we don't yet have legal marijuana for adult use sales in New Jersey. That's just being formulated now. So even with a a, a referendum that passed by by a, a was a two to one margin, it's it's it was, I guess yeah. the devil's in the details, huh? Well, we did get the legislation passed. It wasn't without uh, difficulties. That took us probably close to three months to get that done, uh, even though we knew it was coming. But uh, now it's in the hands of regulators who have been now seated and appointed. And the Cannabis Regulatory Commission has now begun its important work of framing out what a legal market in New Jersey is going to look like for marijuana sales. And I'm speaking with Senator Nick Scatari. Senator, I listened to Justice Lee Solomon's confirmation hearing before your committee this week. You you raised the question of courtroom experience for judicial nominees. So so it, it's clear you're thinking about, you know, at least at least over the next few years, it's it's several uh, Supreme Court seats coming up. Uh, Governor Murphy's nominated two young just judicial candidates. Uh, how important is experience? Well, I hope that uh, in the future, because we do have those people on the on the on the, the New Jersey Supreme Court now, people that do have some idea of what most lawyers in our communities do. Most people that ever have interaction with lawyers, maybe for municipal court, maybe for their house closing, maybe perhaps if they've been divorced or if they've been injured at work or been injured in a car accident. That's what most lawyers that people deal with do. 
And some, and, and I would like to at least see some representation on the court of what those lawyers deal with on a day-to-day basis, not to mention the fact lawyers that are in court on a regular basis, trying cases, making motions, having argument. I, I think that that's an important experience in being on the court, at least represented by at least at least one voice. So there's a balance, I guess, between somebody I mean, young with brains and and the ideology the governor wants in the court and maybe the possibility of serving 20 30 years and and somebody who's got real you know hands-on legal experience i guess i i I agree with that statement i mean the the appointments that the governor is going to make the nominations that we're going to oversee the confirmation these are some of the most important things that we're going to do in our lifetimes as elected officials uh, and in New Jersey, as you probably already know, it's one of the few states in our country that actually, what I, in my opinion, does it right through a nomination and confirmation process. I think it's 43 other states that actually elect their judges. I just don't feel as though that's the right way to go. But, yeah, absolutely, it's a balancing act, and uh, hopefully we'll find that right balance. So w- Governor Murphy's nominated Rachel Wayner Apter to fill an open seat on the court. She's she's 40 years old. She was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's law clerk. She uh, holds a, a, a uh, top position department at uh, the Division of Criminal Justice or Division of Civil Rights. Uh, will she be confirmed? Well, that still remains to be seen. Uh, that's why we have the process. So I can't, I can't prejudge that. I can't even give a prediction right at this point. Uh, that process has just begun. The nomination's been made. It's now public. Uh, the vetting process is at the very beginning. Um, and, you know, I certainly think she has a high likelihood, but that's really, that's really remains to be seen. Do you feel that there'll be a hearing in time to, if she is going to be confirmed, to have her on the court in time for the uh, the opening of the session on September first? Uh, that I, I can't say that that's going to happen or it isn't. Uh, and we we certainly have seen our share of times when the court wasn't fully seated, and one of the most senior members will be brought up uh, in that in the case if that doesn't occur. But, you know, if someone's going to serve up to 30 years and perhaps, you know, I don't think a few months here or there is going to make that big of a difference, quite frankly. So, Senator Scutari, I mean, we're, I'm talking to Nicholas Scutari. He's the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So uh, after Rachel Wayner, after well, the governor will have appointed two very young justices, 40 is is young for the court. Is is that is that hitting the cap for him? Is that the limit on people that might serve 30 years? I, I, I guess we'd have to ask him. I don't think we know who he's looking at. If he gets reelected, he's fortunate enough to get reelected. He may pick a few more. And so we're, I certainly want to work uh, closely with them in the selection process just to make sure, that, as we spoke about earlier, that that balance is achieved, that we have uh, not just super young, super smart people. And I think those are the people that he's already selected, uh, but people that have been in court that have that experience of trying cases, that have that experience of handling clients. Uh, so they have real-world experience as well. And not to say that they don't have that, uh, but some of the people that are going to be coming off the court because of mandatory retirement are, are, are really experienced in those ways. And one of the things I hear, I hope I don't embarrass you by saying this, but I hear this from sure. Democrats and Republicans on your committee, senators on your committee. Uh, whether they agree with you or not, they say nobody can run a confirmation process better than Nick Scutari. So, well, so, thank you. I, uh, that, that's kind of whoever said that. I appreciate it. I try to run a fair and balanced hearing. I try to give everybody an opportunity, but I want to make sure it runs efficiently and we move it forward. And let me say to you, if anybody that's involved or wants to be involved or know anything about state and local politics, they should be looking at uh, the New Jersey Globe website. Well, I think you do a fantastic job in writing those articles. Thank you very much. And so you meet with 
every judicial nominee before their confirmation. You, I guess I guess you can't be a judge without coming to, to meet Senator Scutari uh, at your office for an interview. Without giving away too many trade secrets, what happens in that room? You know, we I try to get to know people on a more personal basis. I want to know where they're from, what their life experiences are. I mean, outside of what we see in the paper, you know, in the application, in the resume, in the background information. Uh, I like to see who these people are. I like to see people that have empathy for uh, for for life and for, for humanity and for our citizens, because that's what we're dealing with. Uh, when Even at the Supreme Court level, we're dealing with issues that affect people's lives directly. And uh, so we like to try to get to know them uh, on a more personal basis to see what kind of people that they are. So what happens? I mean, I would imagine it's got to happen from time to time. A, a candidate for judge or prosecutor leaves your office and you, you, you tone to you turn to Tony Texera and you say, wow, this one's a real loser. What, what do you do? <laughs> it's not easy, <laughs> but it does happen. You're right. It, it, does, it has happened more than once over my many years there. And I hate to date myself because I, I still think I'm one of the younger people down there. But uh, yeah, you are 52. You are most definitely one of the younger guys there. <laughs> But it's a, it's an ugly. It's not easy, you know. You gotta you put yourself in these positions, and you you have to take that responsibility seriously, which I certainly do. And you gotta have some uncomfortable conversations, unfortunately, sometimes because that's the process. Sometimes not everybody's going to make it, and uh, and 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 hopefully, and it's most of the time. By the time they get to me, they're, they've they're they're decent for the most part. Uh, but sometimes it does happen, and we've got to make a call. Uh, and whether it is to the local senator that's referred them there, or whether it's to the governor's office directly to tell them that this isn't going to happen, and it's never, it's never received that well. I can tell no, you. sure. <laughs> I, I'm speaking with Senator Nicholas Katari, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Senator. In, in 1947, the men—and I say the men because there were no women in the room—the men who wrote the current state constitution included a mandatory retirement age of judges of 70. And that was 74 years ago. Things have changed a lot since then. Does does a retirement age of 70 still make sense? You know, I, I, let me say, the, the, the people that were in that room in 1947 did a magnificent job in, 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 in the way in which that we operate here in New Jersey in our judicial selection process, plus all the other things that they dealt with in the Constitutional Convention. So I still marvel at what they did. But you're right. I mean, 70 now is not 70 then. And myself and, and I think Senator Bateman and I have worked on some bipartisan uh, legislation. And it has to be more than legislation. It has to be a constitutional amendment to change that. Because, yeah, there's certainly some very, very strong 70-year-old that could definitely serve longer. But there's got to be some checks and balances, in my opinion. If we're going to change that, we've got to make sure that uh, there is a check and a balance as to you know their, their legal acumen and their intellectual level at the age of 70. Because I just can't imagine that you're going to be sharper at 70 than you are at 60, but maybe you're just as and you probably could still serve well. So we're looking at that, and I, I think it's certainly worth a look. And, and as I said earlier, you're, you've been chairman of the Judiciary Committee for longer than anyone in state history, and you're you know, you're you're still just 52. It's, you know, for those those you know on the radio listening to you on the radio, they can't see you, but you're 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 a young guy, especially by New Jersey Senate standards. Uh, but that takes a lot to to last that long at judiciary some of you have two groups of constituents right i mean you have your constituents in union county that you represent and you have you have a group of constituents who are state senators how do you how do you manage some of the big asks from your colleagues 
you know, I've got a great Senate president, and uh, Senate President Sweeney has been a partner of mine ever since I've been in the legislature. And, uh, you know, it, it's a trust factor, and uh, and it's a reputational factor, I think, over the years. Uh, I, I try to keep my word. I try not to lie <laughs> and just try to do what I think is best for the people of New Jersey and for our, our senators and our people in, in Union County. So it's you can do it. It's uh, Sometimes it's trying when there's a lot of deadlines that people want you to make, whether it's asks from the executive branch or other members of the caucus. But uh, we try to put it all together. And that's one of the things I've, I've noticed about you on deadlines is, is you can handle anything. You just you just don't want it thrown up against you at the last minute. That's true. I'd hate that. <laughs> You've made that very clear to everybody, Senator. If you don't do your homework, the process is meaningless. So uh, we want to keep that process meaningful because that's what the people of New Jersey deserve. So I, I have a last question for you. It's, it's, it's the question everybody hates, but I'll ask it to you anyway. Uh, uh, one way or the other, Democrats will be shopping for a candidate for governor in 2025. Whether, whether Mur- Governor Murphy wins this election or not, they'll need a new candidate. Is, is there any chance that you'll run for governor? You never say never. You never know. I'm not getting any younger, so who knows? But we'll see what the landscape looks like at that point in time. I really enjoy what I do right now, but, you know, we'll see. And you never, you just, you never know, right? I mean, you never, you can never predict anything because it's Jersey. That's what, it, that's what keeps it, it fun. You don't want to foreshadow or forestall anything like that. But uh, as you said, we're going to be looking for a new candidate in a few years. So we'll see where that is. Well, Senator Nicholas Katari, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, thank you again for joining me. It's, it's always fun to talk to you. David, a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And this is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'll be back with a story of one of the most colorful men to ever serve in the New Jersey Senate. His name was Tony Imperiali. And you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Following is a paid political announcement. Last year, Phil Murphy gave us the biggest property tax increase in a decade during a pandemic. I'm Jack Chitterelli, Republican candidate for governor. I've built two businesses here in New Jersey, creating jobs, opportunity, and community. This is where my wife, Melinda, and I raised our four children. New Jersey's my home and yours. But sadly, New Jersey's broken. It's broken because of Phil Murphy's failed leadership, and he just continues to make things worse. Leaving thousands of veterans and seniors dead in nursing homes because of his devastating COVID policies. Destroying our small businesses with his extended lockdowns. Raising our taxes while adding billions in new spending. He even said, if taxes are your issue, then New Jersey's probably not your state. you got to be kidding me. Who says that? Taxes are our issue. And Phil Murphy shouldn't be our governor. New Jersey can do better. With Republican Jack Cittarelli as governor, we will. Paid for by Cittarelli for Governor, Inc. P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. 
NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. So I've watched a lot of state legislators with large personalities up close over the last 48 years, but none of them were more colorful than Anthony Imperial. He was a self-styled vigilante from the North Ward of Newark. He, he came to power during the 1967 Newark riots. At the time, Governor Richard Hughes called Imperiali's group the Brown Shirts. And he, he was a Marine. He was a, he was a big guy. He easily weighed 350 pounds. He, he wore a holster with a 357 Magnum attached to his waist. He drove around in an armored car. Uh, Imperial was charismatic. He was flamboyant. He, he used to stage these extravagant floats for Newark's Columbus Day Parade. Uh, once he dressed as a gladiator and he rented a lion. It was supposed to be a tame lion and the lion clawed him. And I, I didn't see it happen, but I, I did see the scars and, and, and that was, that was quite an amazing event. And Imperiali knew how to, he knew how to organize people. He knew how to sway public opinion. He could be frightening, I mean, not in a Chris Christie bullying kind of way, but, but more of a, polarizing New Jersey version of George Wallace. He was a segregationist in a state where you really didn't have leaders of either party advocating for that. I remember his his frequent target was Amiri Baraka, and that was the the mayor of the uh, the, the father of the current mayor of uh, of New, Newark, New Jersey. The, the North Ward was predominantly Italian-American at the time, and, and Imperial played into his community's fears during during a, a moment of extraordinary racial tension in the city. He formed a volunteer militia to, that he used to patrol the streets. He, he ran a private security company that convinced contractors to let them guard their construction sites. He, he ran his own volunteer ambulance squad. Tony Imperiali figured out that Politics was the place for him. He he won a seat on the Newark City Council in 1968, one year after the riots. Two years later, he ran for mayor. He, he finished third. Uh, but that was enough to be a spoil in a race where the, the white mayor, the last white mayor of Newark, Hugh Adnizio, he was, he was under indictment at the time. And that everybody is a story for another day. But Adnizio was running for a third term. And three years after the riots, Ken Gibson wanted to become the city's first black mayor. He, he led Adnizio in the first vote by, by about 20,000 votes. Uh, uh, but between Imperial's 16% and two other white candidates, a, a total of 50 
65% of the vote went to white candidates, voters that used to be with Adnizio. Uh, the following year, 1971, Imperial was elected to the state assembly as an independent. And in 1973, he was elected to the state senate again as an independent. And uh, in elections that, that weren't even close, he won the Senate seat by about 6,000 votes. He is the only independent candidate to ever win a state legislative race, and he, and he did it twice. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm talking about one of the most colorful lawmakers in New Jersey history, Anthony Imperiali. Uh, as a senator... Imperiali was he was he was uncouth. He would challenge senators to fights, fist fights, and and not tame suburban guys, but but senators like Joe Merlino of Trenton and Jim Dugan of Bayonne, and and in those days, uh, maybe you're you're old enough to remember when long distance phone calls could get expensive. Legislators got telephone credit cards, and at some point it came out that Imperiali had racked up thousands of dollars calling a, a number called Dial-A-Joke. Uh, but get this, and, and as much as Tony Imperial might have relished being a senator, uh, and as frequently as old-timers still speak to him as I am now, he wasn't in Trenton all that much. He missed, I, I think it was close to 80% of the votes that, uh, when he was a senator. One publication called him the clown prince of the New Jersey legislature. And what Imperial really wanted was to be the mayor in Newark. Uh, so just a couple months after taking a seat in the Senate, he launched another challenge to Mayor Gibson. He lost that one by about 8,000 votes, about 10 points. And when he ran for reelection to the Senate in 1977, Democrats figured out what to do. They had an ally in Steve Adubato. He was also a northward political leader. He couldn't stand Imperial. And Imperial got tossed from the Senate. But uh, the story doesn't stop there. Imperial came back two years later, this time as a Republican, and he won. He beat a three-term incumbent. He wound up sharing the district with the other Democratic Assemblyman, Mike Adubato. It was Big Steve's brother. And in 1981, Imperial ran for governor. He received less than 5% of the vote in the statewide primary. But it was the general election in 1981 that Anthony Imperiali made his his uh, his big stand. He was pivotal in the election of a Republican governor. He ran a ballot security program in Newark where guys wearing armbands tried to suppress black voters to intimidate people from voting. And and just to give you an idea about the, the long-term effect of Imperial's ballot security task force, uh, the Democratic National Committee filed a civil rights suit. The New Jersey Republicans settled the case. They entered into a consent decree that prevented them from ever doing something like that again. That consent decree from the 1981 campaign was in effect for more than 36 years. It wasn't lifted until 2018. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, if the race for Congress in New Jersey's third district works out the way it's starting to look. Uh, we're looking at a contrast in personalities. I think it's going to get some national attention. Uh, this is a South Jersey district. Donald Trump just barely, barely beat 
Joe Biden in it, and it elected a Democratic congressman, Andy Kim, a Rhodes Scholar, worked in the Obama White House as head of the National Security Council's Iraq desk. Andy Kim is straight-laced. He's quiet. As politicians go, he's quiet. He's serious. He he's embraced his and he's embraced his nerdiness. And for those of you who know me, uh, you know that's a compliment. And along the way, he's developing an enormous fan base. The the latest name to surface uh, and. And one that my sources say is is right now the leading Republican candidate, if he pulls the trigger, is Bob Healy. And they're both 38 years old. They both live in Morristown. And, and that might be where the extent of their similarities, at least on a personality basis, that might be where it stops. And that's not a bad thing. Bob Healy is not your typical Republican. He is heavily tattooed. He's got nipple piercings. He was once the lead singer of a popular punk rock band and now he teaches yoga and and wait there's more healy also runs his family business it's the viking yacht company uh one of the largest employers of ocean county he he manufactures yachts he he runs a mega real estate development company he heads an international relief organization that has supplied food and clean water and health care to war-torn third world countries. Uh, Healy has the ability, I am told, to pour millions of dollars of his own money in this campaign. And Republicans I spoke to yesterday said that uh, Bob Healy is the real deal. And Democrats told me that the Healy family is well known. They're admired and they take this challenge to Andy Kim seriously. This this race is just at the starting gate, but it's it, it's shaping up to be one to to really watch. Uh, uh, one other thing is is one of the things that makes New Jersey politics so incredibly fascinating is that there's always an election between fire commissioners in February and school board elections in April and municipal races in May and primaries in June, generals in November, uh, legislative and gubernatorial elections in odd years, just one of five states that does it that way. There's always an election in New Jersey. Earlier this week, voters in 14 towns voted in nonpartisan municipal elections. Uh, here's a takeaway that might be an early indicator of the 2021 political climate. In those 14 elections, just two incumbents across the state lost their seats. 93% of incumbents who ran for re-election were re-elected. And the, the most closely watched race in the state, it was in Collingswood, Camden County. Uh, a mayor who had been in office for 32 years, he, he won by a two-to-one margin despite an aggressive challenge from an insurgent slate. The, the election's technically nonpartisan, but Jim Maley and his running mates, uh, uh, they had the backing of the Camden County Democratic machine. Uh, and and, and now, now there'll be a fight for control of the local Democratic Party in June. Uh, Governor Mar- Murphy's heading the slate for the organization in Bordentown. Small town outside Trenton looks like the new mayor is going to be Jen Scortino. She's a statehouse veteran. She's worked for governors and legislators from both of New Jersey's Democratic parties. And she is well-liked by everyone. And in South Orange, the winner of a local race, Bobby Brown, former Cleveland Indians running back, Notre Dame football star. Jersey loves a great story. Thank you for listening. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77, WA. Be safe.
When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together.